Welcome. You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. We are so glad you're in worship with us today. I want you to know that we will have a number of Christmas Eve services this week. We have space still available in a few spaces in the one. We added a three o'clock and we have a nine o'clock that still have space available. The five and the seven will both be streaming if you would like to worship from home. And then um, they'll be posted on the church website so you can watch them uh, whenever you feel like it. Well, today we continue our sermon series, The Living Nativity. And we've been exploring what does it mean to see our stories and stories of our lives in light of the story of God revealed in Jesus Christ, especially as we look at the opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke. As you may have remembered from two weeks ago, even though they were advanced in age, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and says, oh, I've got news for you. You're gonna have a child. And like, Vizini in The Princess Bride, Zachariah says, inconceivable. And Gabriel says, okay, you're going to have to think about it for about nine months and not talk. And Elizabeth was thrilled. So now let us continue our story where it picks up nine months later. Luke 1, verses 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives have this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher. That you might shine a light on our lives, Lord, as we look and reflect on the life of Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, and this great surprise, this great change that came to their lives. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know what's not going to change about change? 
It's the fact that change is almost always hard. Take the Copernican Revolution, for instance. Copernicus came up with the idea that there was a basic flaw in human beings' understanding of the whole astronomical system. He said, hey guys, I've got an idea. What if the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun? Now, it took him 17 years to perfect his theory. It took him another 13 years to find someone who would actually publish and print it. Even still, it wasn't widely accepted until long after his death. I hate to say it, but even some of my theological mentors vehemently opposed him. Martin Luther said, this fool will turn the whole art of astronomy upside down. The scripture shows and tells another lesson where Joshua commanded the sun to stand still, not the earth. Or the towering theologian John Calvin, he said, who will venture to place the authority of Copernicus above that of the Holy Spirit? And the Roman Catholics didn't fare much better when the Vatican damned the the Copernican theory as both, quote, philosophically false and formally heretical. It's true. Oftentimes, the Bible and religion can be used to prevent change. It can glamorize the past or hold us back from believing a new truth. At the beginning of the 20th century, one of America's founding psychologists, William James, said this, Any new theory first is attacked as absurd. Then it is admitted to be true, but obvious and insignificant. Finally, it seems to be important, so important that its adversaries claim that they themselves discovered it. (laughs) Change is challenging. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, Zechariah was not ready to change. He was a a priest in the service to God and the people. Luke even says that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were righteous, yet they were barren. They couldn't have kids. In the culture at that time, this would have meant social embarrassment. People would have looked down on them as if God prevented them from having children because of their poor moral character. But as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we have to be very wary of connecting moral and spiritual failure to physical calamity and misfortune. We saw that Jesus, in fact, explicitly teaches that one is not connected to the other. But just because it's wrong doesn't mean people didn't think it. And it doesn't mean that people didn't say it. And when people tell you something long enough, you eventually begin to believe it. Zechariah believes he's the barren guy. He knows who he is. He cannot have children. And when the angel Gabriel came to him to give him this good news, Zechariah says, this can't be. Let me list the reasons for you. I've tried for years, never been able to. My wife and I, we're advanced in years. People our age cannot have children. We have resigned ourselves to who we are. This is our identity. And Gabriel says, oh, Zachy. Gabriel kind of had an informal flair about him. 
said, you should listen to more Sam Cooke, because a change is going to come. And now change is hard, but change is also inevitable. And sometimes when change comes, it takes us a while to acclimate ourselves to that change. Zechariah was mute. He did not talk for nine months. He had to come to terms with the fact, he had to reflect on the fact that he was no longer going to be the barren guy. He had a, a new identity. He was going to have new responsibilities. I like to think that Zachariah was one of those guys who, they're nice, but they're kind of like always talking all the time, kind of stream of consciousness. And Elizabeth was always rolling her eyes at him, kind of like when Courtney rolls her eyes when I'm preaching a sermon. And now that she's pregnant, he couldn't be talking all the time. He had to listen to her needs, what she needed. He needed to listen a little more closely. And that was going to be difficult for him. So Gabriel silenced him. You see, Zachariah was going to have to have a new identity. He needed to change a few things in his life. And when we approach times of change, we often need a little therapy. <laughs> We need a little time to stop and reflect and decide how we're going to approach the experience of entering into a change, into something new. Even the best people in the Bible had to do this. Jesus himself, before he enters into his public ministry, he's sent into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Even Jesus has to think about his new identity as he goes from private carpenter to public prophet. He has to think about this change. The Apostle Paul tells us that after his radical conversion on the road to Damascus, he goes into the wilderness to reflect for several years, to think about his new vocation. I think there's wisdom here for all of us. I was talking to a woman this past week. She said that while the pandemic has been hard for all of us, she said she's recognized a silver lining in it. She said, there's it's been a benefit to having to slow down. She said, Jeff, there's even been a benefit for me spending more time around my family. She said she'd found new ways to find joy and happiness in unsuspected ways. And as we've heard about the coming arrival of vaccines, I've been thinking about what have I learned over the past 10 months how have I changed that I need to sustain that change as things go back to maybe a sense of normalcy? I think we would all do well to reflect on what we've learned over the past 10 months and to hold on to the good changes in our lives. See these challenges as opportunities and not to miss them. Because hopefully, God be with us that we don't have to do this again. I was recently listening to an interview with Mark Cuban. You may know him. He's an entrepreneur. He's one of the judges on Shark Tank, and he owns the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. And he was talking about the things. I was really fascinated. He was talking about the things the NBA has learned through the pandemic. You may know that at the beginning, they started a bubble there in Orlando, Florida, where all the teams came and they played games. And one of the surprises of the bubble was the quality of play. Everybody played better. People had a higher shooting percentage. They played better defense. All the teams played better. 
And so the owners and the league came together and they tried to analyze why was the quality of play so good when there were no fans, it was just the court, what, what was it? And they've discerned and through their analysis that these teams didn't have to travel anymore. They went and played the game, then they went back to their hotel until they had to, to go play the game or have another practice. And usually these teams are hopping around the country from one night to the next. And so they said, how can we sustain this change, this good change? And so they put together an algorithm and they figured out how to set the schedule so that when the Atlanta Hawks go to Los Angeles, they, they'll play both the Lakers and the Clippers in back-to-back nights so they don't have to continue to travel, so they don't have to wake up in a new hotel every night. Said so this is good change. How can we learn from it? How can we sustain it? I think this is what smart leaders and organizations, what wise people do. When they encounter challenges, they adapt and change. Here's some of the things I've learned that I want to continue. I want to really enjoy and not take for granted being with people. It's not a given. Never take that for granted again, Jeff. At church, I want to sustain the excellence of our live streaming so that no matter where people are, they can tune in and be with us in worship here. In the Bible studies I lead, I want to continue to offer a Zoom option so that as people are traveling or they're sick at home or they, for some reason, can't make it to the room, they can still be a part of the community. And number one, I will never, ever take for granted going to a concert and experiencing live music with other people again. What changes do you want to sustain and keep? How might God have used this time to help you adapt in good ways? I would encourage you over Christmas and New Year's, make some resolutions, what you want to hold on to. Don't fall into old habits and old ways of being. Sustain this good change. Well, there's something else I want to leave with you. Something beautiful about this story with Zachariah and Elizabeth. I want to conclude with it. Zachariah has been silent for nine months. He's had time to, to be silent and reflect and think about his life and the life of his coming son. He's had time to think about the change that's coming in his life. Luke tells us, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. They all assume all their friends and neighbors and relatives come over, and they all assume they know the identity of who this boy is. He will be named after his father. His name will be Zachariah, this great man, this great priest, a righteous man. Surely they will name their little son, their little boy, after the father. But that's not the case. His mother said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, but none of your relatives have this name. Their friends and neighbors are like, hold on a second. Let's check with dad. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. All of them were amazed. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. 
Not only did Zechariah have to go through the, the change of how he saw himself and his own identity, he had to go through a change of how he viewed his son, about who his son was going to be. How many of us try to control others with our own ideas and visions for other people's lives? Who we think they should be when we should be thinking about who does God want them to be? Some of us try to control our children, wanting them to be just like us. Others of us try to control our parents, wanting them to change into who we want them to be. We do this to family members, to employees, to friends. We do this to strangers. We want them to have the name we want to give them. When God says, I know the name I've given them. See, the healthy person releases the need to control and manipulate, releases and gives freedom to others. I know who I am, and I let myself be me and you be you. We become fully alive as we become the people God has created and called us to be. The early church father, Irenaeus, said the glory of God is the human being fully alive. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, has this great image of coming alive in Christ. He writes, a statue has the shape of a man, but it is not alive. In the same way, man has the shape or likeness of God, but he has not got the kind of life God has. See, each of us were created in the image of God. Yes, we are flawed and fallible, that is true, but God has come to redeem us in Jesus Christ to help us flourish and become the people God has created us to be in God's image as we come fully alive in Christ. Yes, change is hard, but it also allows us the opportunity to become who God wants us to be, who God has created and called us to be. I want to close with my favorite poem. I've actually never read it in public. It does not rhyme, you'll be surprised. <laughs> and it's by the writer Charles Bukowski. If you read about Bukowski's life on his Wikipedia page, you'll see that he doesn't sound like the kind of guy that gets quoted in most sermons, except maybe as a negative example. <laughs> he was a writer who published, I think, 60 books, who wrote about people on the margins of society People often struggling with addiction, despair, criminal behavior. He was known as an outlaw poet and writer. He was someone you did not want your daughter to bring home for dinner. <laughs> but this poem is very different than his other work. It's called The Laughing Heart. Listen to this. Your life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submission. Be on the watch. There are ways out. There is light somewhere. It may not be much light, but it beats the darkness. Be on the watch. The gods will offer you chances. Know them. Take them. You can't beat death, but you can beat death in life sometimes. The more often you learn to do it, the more light there will be. Your life is your life. Know it while you have it. You are marvelous. The gods wait to delight 
in you. Friends, I think that's the message of Advent. God has come in Jesus Christ and waits to delight in you. People will try to call you Zechariah. They will try to call you a name that is not your name. But God has already given you a name. Whether it's Amy or Ethan or Jim or Lauren, Kyle, Zoe, Jill, or John, God has given you a name. Let us come fully alive in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. And as you close your eyes, I'm going to offer the laughing heart again as a prayer for you this Advent season. Your life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submission. Be on the watch. There are ways out. There is light somewhere. It may not be much light, but it beats the darkness. Be on the watch. The gods will offer you chances. Know them. Take them. You can't beat death, but you can beat death in life, sometimes. And the more often you learn to do it, the more light there will be. Your life is your life. Know it while you have it. You are marvelous. God waits to delight in you. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.